Good evening, uh, brothers and sisters and the Lord Jesus. It is so good to be with you again tonight and just bring you greetings from the saints at Grace Fellowship. Um, again, thank you for all of your care and love and support. Um, we feel that and we feel your prayers and oversight. Uh, we have some exciting things going on uh, over in Zealand. Uh, you can be in prayer on December the 15th. We've got a congregational vote uh, to determine whether to move forward with a facility in Zealand, a great location. Uh, so if you would pray for us just for unity and wisdom as we seek the Lord's face in that, we would really appreciate it. But uh, thank you again. It's great to be here. Tonight, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the gospel according to John. We're going to look at the first uh, verses of John 1, the opening 9, John chapter 1. John 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Please join me as we ask the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, we do come to you this evening once again seeking your grace, seeking your favor, seeking your help, O oh Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold wonderful things here in your word in this marvelous portion of scripture, uh, that you would be with the children, Lord, as they listen as well. Uh, Father, that we might behold Christ by faith and once again admire his beauty and his sufficiency and his glory and all that he is for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the 16th century reformer Martin Luther who said of the Gospel of John, he said this, that if a tyrant succeeded in destroying the Holy Scriptures and yet a single copy was left over of Paul's letter to the Romans and this Gospel according to John, that Christianity would be saved. Uh, the Gospel according to John is one of those books of the Bible that you can give out to a curious seeker who's asking questions about the Christian faith, as well as a seasoned uh, saint who's been walking this road for many, many years. It's been said of John that uh, it is a pool that is safe enough for a child to wade in, and yet deep enough for an elephant to drown in. So what is it about? Well, John actually gives us his purpose statement at the end of the book, near the end of the epilogue in chapter 20, where he says that uh, Jesus did many other miracles and signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why John is writing this gospel. And he takes us to the beginning, 
John chapter 1. Uh, John starts in a different place than the other synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew and Luke begin with the birth narrative, and Mark begins when Jesus is an, already an adult. But John wants to take us back to where it really began, way back to the beginning, technically to a, a time before the beginning ever began. Now, if that gives you a headache, you're in good company tonight. We're, we're going to be talking about things that are absolutely astonishing and marvelous. Listen to what Kent Hughes said about uh, this entire prologue, which takes us to verse 18. The force of what John says is so staggering that the words almost seem to bend under the weight that they are meant to bear. So, who is Jesus? That's the question that John will answer. There is no more important question than this. Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, then everything changes, right? Then there's hope for this dark world. There's hope for you and me. There's hope for sinners if Jesus is God in the flesh. So let's consider who this Jesus is. First, uh, according to John in verses 1 and 2, he is the Logos. He's the Logos. In the beginning, we read, was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. John, I, I think brilliantly, is actually borrowing from Greek philosophy here, using this word, but meaning something a little bit different than they meant it. Uh, the, the originator probably of this idea of logos was a, a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus who lived in the 6th century B.C. And he observed uh, the world around him and concluded that everything is constantly changing. He, he is the one who famously said, no man steps his foot into the same river twice. Things are constantly in flux, constantly flowing. And yet, as he observed the universe, he also saw the irrefutable, undeniable reality that, that there's order. And so how do you make sense of that reality? The fact that the stars remain in their orbit, in the sky, the fact that the seasons come over and over again, the same way, the same pace. Well, he argued the Logos. This reason, this idea, this concept, this force, this energy. In fact, this idea of the Logos fascinated the Greeks. Listen to what Plato said about this idea. Plato wrote, it may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a Logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. Plato said that. And so in a stroke of divine genius, John the Apostle seizes upon this word, which would have been well understood or at least used in that time, logos, and he applies it not to an energy, not to an idea, not to a force, but to a person. <clears throat> in the beginning was the word. But not only is John appealing to the Greek mind, he's also appealing to the Hebrew mind. Boys and girls... What does this opening of John 1 remind you of in your Old Testament? In the beginning, right? 
In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did He do it? By the Word of His mouth. He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be and there was. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. What is John saying? What is John doing here? In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the Son. In fact, the word was with God. With God, yet distinguishable from God, and the Word was God. In fact, He was, verse 2, in the beginning with God. Now, who was? Who is the Word? Who is the Logos? Jesus, according to His divine nature. In other words, the, the baby born in the manger according to his divine nature, never had a beginning. As the church father, Athanasius, argued so brilliantly, there never was when he was not. Now, for most of us in this room tonight, that's a familiar thing, right? Most of us have grown up with this. And the fact that it's familiar should humble us because it's been revealed to us. That's a, that's a kindness of God. The fact that for most of us here tonight, that's not new information, that Jesus is God isn't new. That's a kindness of God that we've been exposed to this truth from God's Word. But I would submit to you that there is a danger in the familiarity. There, there's a danger when we know it so well. What happens when something becomes so familiar to us in everyday life? We stop noticing it. We stop admiring it. We stop marveling at it. We stop examining it. We get used to it. We become numb to it. We take it for granted, don't we? That's, that's human nature, isn't it? This is exactly what can happen when it comes to the birth story here we are again in December. We've got the lights. Everything's ready to, to go. We sing the songs. We go through the motions. We know exactly what we're doing. And sometimes we just, we just do it without thinking, marveling, astonishing, stopping, worshiping. Paul Tripp said, sadly, many of us aren't gripped by the stunningly magnificent events and truths of the birth of Jesus anymore. Sadly, many of us are no longer gripped by wonder as we consider what this story tells us about the character and plan of God. Our eyes have gone lazy and our hearts have grown cold. Don't let Satan steal your joy this Christmas and your astonishment and your wonder and awe at the Incarnation. <clears throat> Just because it's something that you've heard perhaps your entire life. Consider hearing this announcement from John 1, 1 and 2 for the very first time, as perhaps some of you are, are hearing it tonight. The Jesus of Nazareth, 
who walked the face of this earth 2,000 years ago, who lived a perfect life and who died on a cross for sinners like you and me is God, which means he never had a beginning. He just is. He always existed with the Father in eternity past and the Spirit, and yet he willingly and voluntarily came to this world and took on flesh to suffer for our sin and to rise again. Kent Hughes says this of the opening two verses, it is, he calls, the most compact and pulsating theological statement in all of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if we had even an iota, a tiny fraction of an idea of the magnitude of the breathtaking condescension of God with us, Emmanuel, we would immediately fall down in worship. He's the divine logos. Not an idea, not a concept, but a person. But John has more to say than just the fact that he is the logos. Who is Jesus? Secondly, he is the life. The life, in fact, verse 4 says, in him was life. Now, John puts into this prologue a lot of things that he's going to then develop in the remainder of his gospel account, including this idea of Jesus being the life. Uh, 36 times in his account, he will talk about Jesus as being the life. So in what sense is Jesus the life? What do we mean by that? Well, certainly in the sense that Jesus created life. Verse 3, John says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Again, this is a staggering claim that John makes. The one who hung at the breast of Mary made Mary. The star which led the men from the east was put there by the child according to his divine nature. The let there be and there was came from the mouth of the Son of God. As other scriptures testify, Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago it says, At many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Which means that you and I owe our very existence to the Son of God. He is the potter, we are the clay. He is Lord, we are the subject. But it also means not just that he created life, but he is the giver of life. This is John's purpose in writing, as we've already mentioned, that by believing in Christ as the Son of God, you and I might have life in His name. And over and over again, as He does in other ways, He will flesh this out in His gospel. The idea of life. Nicodemus, this encounter that occurs in John 3 at night, he says to him, if you want 
true life, then you must be born again. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. If you want real life, real lasting life and satisfying life, you must drink from the waters of, of, of my grace, of my gospel. And he goes on and on and on in his account. I was thinking a lot of times when we consider life and eternal life, we think in terms of quantity and not as much about quality. So we think about the eternal and sometimes less about life. But what is the kind of life that Jesus offers? John 10.10, he'll say this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Certainly in eternity, we will have fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. We will not in heaven be able to sin. We will have true life and joy and peace and righteousness. And yet it is also an offer and an invitation to experience the richness of life in Christ now, today, despite the fact that this world is hard and full of thorns. And we feel the curse and its influence and impact and, and reverberations everywhere we, we go, beginning with our own hearts. Yet, life in Christ is full in that Jesus, as He works in our hearts by His grace, opens our blind eyes to see things, to see beautiful things, to see this world through a lens of the gospel. Consider the story of uh, G. Campbell Morgan who recalls meeting an older man who had just been converted. He meets him in a garden and this older man is holding in his hand uh, this small object. And so Morgan asks him, well, what, what, are you, what are you examining? What are you beholding with such intensity? And this recently converted man says, I'm holding a leaf. And he says, behold the beauty of God. And he's staring at the leaf, just this regular old leaf, boys and girls, that fell from this tree. And, he, and, and, and he's considering it, and he's examining it, and he's beholding it as if for the first time. Look at this! Jesus opened his eyes, not just to eternal life, not just to forgiveness of sins, but to see things in a fresh, new way with a worldview of Christianity Reminds me of a quote of uh, uh, C.S. Lewis that I came across many years ago now. It says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Jesus changes everything. He gives us abundant life. And the reason He creates life and gives this kind of life is because He is life. He is life. Other religions and, and religious founders, they, they point to eternal life, but since Jesus is God Himself, He literally is eternal life, which means that all that we need and lack is found in Him. It's found in Him. The only question is if we're living within that reality, or if we're still trying to find the meaning of life in lesser things, in created things, in gifts instead of the giver. Listen to what Jesus says later on in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 3, and this, he says, is eternal life, that they would know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is what life is ultimately about. And it's there, brothers and sisters and friends, it's there for the taking, this life, this abundant life and meaning. If we would receive Christ by faith and follow Him, and so he says this, Jesus is the divine logos. This Jesus is the life. And then finally, this Jesus is the light, the light. John continues with the creation theme, Genesis 1 and John 1, creation, new creation, recreation, this light in contrast with the darkness. The reality is that this world and every heart here tonight is inherently and perversely dark. This is what sin does. It darkens everything. It tears apart relationships. Sin loves darkness. In fact, the light that John speaks of here has a couple of different results as he'll develop in this prologue even. Many will not receive the light. They don't love the light. They don't want the light. They love darkness. Light exposes darkness, doesn't it? That's one of its purposes. A couple of months ago now, I was riding in town uh, with my my daughter and uh, saw flashing lights behind me. And I knew, (laughs) I knew that I was in big trouble. Uh, uh, I won't give you the details of why I knew I was in big trouble, but just trust me here. I knew that I was guilty. I knew that, that I was guilty, that I had been found out, that those lights were exposing the darkness, and that I would have to pay for the crime. I knew it. I knew I was guilty. So the the lights made me nervous. In a sense, that's what the light of the world does as well. And, And maybe some of you feel that tonight. If it's true that this Word is God and always was, then it's also true that He knows everything about you. Nothing can be hidden from His sight which means that you're busted. You're guilty. No matter how dressed up you get on Sundays, no matter how loudly we sing, it it exposes, right, the darkness in our hearts. Yet what if you were in your vehicle and you saw lights but your situation was very different from the one I was in. What if you were stranded in the middle of a desert with no cell phone, no gas, no food, no water? What if you were up in, a, in, a, in an accident and needed help and no one was there and no one was around and you saw lights? Well, you'd have a very different view of those lights, wouldn't you? Because those lights would then tell you that this is your rescue. Those lights would be welcome, wouldn't they? 
See, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue those who are in need of being rescued. He came for those who ran out of gas a long time ago. Those of us who broke down. Those of us who need to be rescued. And so he, he exposes the darkness, but he then comes and he shines his great light upon us. In him was life, John says, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John then introduces John the Baptist who wasn't the light itself but was a witness to the light. And then he says this in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And this is what was prophesied in Isaiah Back in chapter 9, verse 2, where the prophet says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Or later in John, Jesus will say these words, chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And with that, John's gospel account is underway. John is not simply writing as some laid-back observer or neutral historian. He writes as an observer, an eyewitness, and as an historian about true facts that actually happened, but he does so, he writes as an evangelist. I write these things, he says, that you might know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. See, it's, it's not enough to be familiar with the message, is it? A lot of people are familiar with the message. Satan is familiar with the message. See, what we're invited to do is to believe in the message. Is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the message, who is the Word, who is the Logos, who before the beginning always was, and then at the creation breathed all things into existence by the Word of His power. We're invited tonight to rest in the one who is life. Who promises to give us life abundantly, life eternally, life sufficiently. Who says that no one comes to the Father except through Him. We're invited tonight to, to see by faith and to behold the light of the world who came to shine into our darkness to rescue us from our need and our sin. That's the Jesus who invites us tonight to come and to know Him by faith. This Jesus who not only lived here and came, but then obeyed the law perfectly. This Jesus who then, after obeying the law, perfectly offered Himself on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Who then rose victoriously and bodily from the grave, this Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him, 
If you're maybe familiar with the story, but you've never, you've never actually gone to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, I call you to do so tonight. To be reconciled to God. To flee from the wrath to come by turning to Him who is our life, who is our hope, who is the light. And then if you already know Him, can I challenge us who are so familiar with these words and this story to keep examining Him, to keep marveling at Him, to keep being astonished at Him. There, there, there is so much in Jesus Christ for us to see, to taste, to admire. May this season be a season where we learn to, to slow down. It's been a really hard year. And yet we're invited to know Jesus and to know who He is and why He came and that He's worthy. May the Lord bless us as we go to Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for this wonderful mystery, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been revealed to us. Lord, and as we unpack the opening of John 1, there certainly is mystery here. There are certainly things that are hard for us to comprehend. And yet the mystery that was hidden for ages has now been revealed to us, to Gentiles, that for both the Jew and the Greek, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came for sinners, who dwelt among us, God with us, God for us in the gospel. And so Lord, would you renew our minds tonight would you show us Christ's beauty and sufficiency that we might see our need and our, our, our absolute desperate situation to be rescued, that we have nothing in and of ourselves, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Father, help us to behold him, this wonderful, merciful Savior who gave himself for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.